Our country is reeling from yet another horrific crime story dominating the headlines. This time, eight women gang-raped in Krugersdorp last week while shooting a music video at a mine dump. The youngest victim was only 19 years old. More than 80 people, including 20 juveniles, appeared in the Krugersdorp Magistrates Court this week, but none of them have been directly linked to the rapes. I'm Catherine Rice, a journalist for News24's Multimedia Department, and you're listening to The Story, where we'll talk to journalists and experts about the biggest story of the week. We're talking to News24 journalist Ivan Pios, and later on we'll talk to the director of DNA for Africa, Vanessa Lynch. Ivan, police have arrested dozens of men but haven't charged anyone with rape yet. What are the charges they're facing? So the first group of men that they arrested, it was over 80, um, when they shortly after the incident, uh, they arrested more than 80. They were not linked to the incident yet. Uh, they were, were. What we found in court is that they were only charged with uh, being illegally in the country. And so the police, the commission and the provincial commissioner, Elias Mawela, told us that they're still waiting for the DNA results and the uh, ID parade to take place. So they haven't been linked to the, the crime that took place in West Village. The police are clearly taking this attack very seriously. Can you tell us more about the task team assigned to the case? The provincial commissioner, Elis Mawela, explained to us that this is a continuing operation that they are carrying out. They want to destabilize illegal miners and zamazamas in in and around Krugersdorp. So they have appointed a special uh, task team that includes your TRT and the NIU, National Intervention Unit. So these guys are leading leading the operations. Earlier this week, there was an operation where the Hawks private securities at several several locations in, in Krugersdorp where they went to go search illegal mine dumps and, and arrested over 120. What next in the case? When will the accused be back in court? We found out in court that um, there were 80, more than 80, but I think more than 20 of them told the court that they are actually underage, that they are, are minors, and their cases have been transferred to the children's court. So the, the 60, the remaining 60 appeared on Wednesday, the 60 appeared on Wednesday, and then their cases were postponed to next week, Wednesday, the 10th of August, where they hoped that the ID parade would be finalized by then. Ivan, you've been in the area this week. It seems to be a very volatile situation. What can you tell us about what's been happening on the ground? When we spoke to some of the community members in West, in West Village, they told us that this was not a common thing. They have been complaining about crime. They have been complaining about the robberies, the, the rapes. I also spoke to a pastor, a local pastor in Mokhalifa, who told me that just a, a month ago, two security, female security guards that was working at the cemetery, they were allegedly abducted by illegal miners. They were allegedly abducted and then they were held hostage and raped. So they said if this heinous crime didn't happen, would police really then came out in, in, in full force to show that they are 
they are on the ground trying to prevent crime, trying to do something about this, um, the, the suspected illegal miners in the area. So the community, they are very angry. Well, thank you so much for your time and please stay safe out there. It sounds like it's a very volatile situation with community members really angry about the crime in their area. That was News24 journalist Ivan Pios. We're now joined by the Director for DNA for Africa, Vanessa Lynch. Vanessa, thank you for your time. Vanessa, the police have taken DNA samples from the accused. DNA testing is certainly going to determine whether these victims get justice or not and will certainly be crucial in terms of evidence. How complicated is this process and how long do you think it will take? The great thing is that we now have laws that mandate that all arrestees of Schedule 8 offences must have their DNA samples taken. So, you know, in, in terms of that, South Africa is, um, is, is quite advanced because many administrations don't allow that. So thankfully, all of these arrestees will have their DNA samples taken. That is going to be analysed and that profile will be entered onto the DNA database. Irrespective of whether they're able to get DNA evidence from the current crime scene, that DNA profile or those DNA profiles will still be searched against our DNA database and any other crime which they may have committed and DNA evidence was collected at that crime scene can still be linked to these perpetrators. So the DNA database works effectively um, insofar as identifying perpetrators of of several or or other offences. In the current crime scene, um, I think that, I mean, first of all, I, I, I feel saddened. Um, I think South Africa's hit a, a new low. And, um, you know, you've spoken to me recently, and I'm always such an optimist, and I, I defended South Africa against calling it a criminal's paradise. But this is sad not only because um, it's, it's just such a horrific crime and the nature of it um, is is something that we haven't really seen in our news headlines. But behind that, we we know that actually it's representative of, of basically everyday life in so many South African communities. And again, this is just, you know, often in South Africa it raises its ugly head and we all go, oh my goodness, and then we all go back to our daily, our daily um, lives. And I don't think we should anymore. I think this really has... I think for a lot of people struck a chord. So how, how do we access justice for, for these survivors and, and hopefully for many survivors whose DNA evidence is also waiting in this um, backlog that we have? It's, it's horrible to say this, but actually a, um, a rape survivor is in fact a crime scene. Their bodies are crime scenes because you want to be able to obtain evidence um, from a crime scene in this case, which is the, the person's body. And the survivor actually also has a choice as to whether they, they allow evidence to be collected. Um, so we don't know in this particular case, we don't have access to whether in, in their the first port of call is really just to counsel, to help um, and, and to ensure that their well-being and their welfare is looked after primarily before evidence is even spoken about. We, we hope that they were able to obtain evidence if, if the survivors consented to it at the time because there really is um, no greater evidence than DNA evidence in a violent rape. The evidentiary value of a forensic DNA profile is really, really high, which is why the prosecutors and the courts call for it and often why cases often fall if they don't get the DNA evidence because the other evidence is not as reliable. Um, For instance, you spoke about eyewitness testimony. 
In this case, they were wearing balaclavas. Unless there were some really significant identifying features, that's not going to be particularly significant. And that's also, you know, whether the survivors are able to face um, that particular procedure, which is horrific in and of itself. So the evidence that hopefully is collected would be in the form of semen, in the form of maybe pubic hairs, um, hopefully there's some skin cells, often in the transfer, um, on clothing. We find a lot of DNA evidence these days. We can really obtain a DNA profile from, you know, a single source from, from a skin cell. Under the, um, the uh, survivor's fingernails, you would be able to get skin if they were fighting for their lives. Saliva, um, there's often saliva in the case of sexual assaults. And at a a rape crisis centre, the forensic nurses or the forensic practitioners who are trained to collect DNA evidence will know all of this and they will be able to collect several samples. In addition to that, we hope that the perpetrators themselves or the alleged perpetrators, if they were arrested, I did read in the news somewhere that they also had evidence collected from their person, maybe in respect of their clothing, um, maybe if they found blood on their clothing or there was evidence or a hair, that could also link the survivor to the perpetrator and that's also very powerful because if you're not able to get a sample of the perpetrator on the survivor but you find the survivor's evidence on the perpetrator that's really strong evidentiary value is to put putting linking the two together so we can only hope that um, that that kind of evidence over and above the arrestee sample which would have been taken on arrest as we spoke about that some valuable crime scene evidence was collected at the time. Vanessa, in this particular case, we've got multiple offenders. Is this not going to make it incredibly tricky and complex to analyze mixed samples? Catherine, it, it is very complex. And obviously, you know, when, when looking at a, um, a DNA sample, a spe- specifically a crime scene sample, it's much easier when you have a single source sample, for instance, um, you know, a skin cell, or if you have someone's blood, or if you have um, a hair, for instance. Mixed samples are difficult because the they have to read different profiles into one sample. So it still has evidentiary value, but obviously it doesn't have the random match probabilities which they utilize in court are much lower. So the evidentiary value or the probative value of that particular sample is less. However, used in conjunction with other forms of evidence, it's still valuable. And remember when I spoke earlier about different types of evidence being found on a crime scene. So if they find, for instance, on the perpetrator or the alleged perpetrator evidence from one of the victims, that's really good because that will be a single source sample. And again, if they are taking evidence from different parts of a survivor's body and from their clothing, they may well find a hair. They may well find skin that skin cells under a fingernail that aren't from different perpetrators. So it will be a very complex process. It will take longer because crime scene evidence is a complex process and we have to have patience. I do, however, have the greatest confidence in our forensic scientists who work in our forensic science laboratory. They are experienced. They deal with the nature of these crimes on a daily basis. They are used to dealing with mixed samples and they will have probably their most experienced analysts working on these because of the nature of the complexity of them. So we, we, only time will tell 
how many samples they were able to take, which of those will be valuable in terms of um, being presented in court. Um, and again, it's, it's just really at the end of the day, when taken together, that's what's going to really build a case. And, and we always have to remember that all forms of that evidence will be, um, will be applicable. Vanessa, as you said, you know, these headlines come and go. But what about those thousands of rape victims who don't make the headlines. Justice is often a long and slow process for them. What are some of the problems our forensic labs are facing right now in terms of backlogs? That's a great question, Catherine, and it's it's really, again, indicative of, of where we are at. Um, unfortunately, for whatever reason, this particular case, um, and I think it's just because of the, of the nature and the aggressiveness and, and the violent nature of this crime has made the headlines. But the questions are around why is this prioritised? Um, every survivor needs priority. The reality is, is that the backlog, unfortunately, um, whilst they're going through the backlog, it just means that every other case falls into line. I do, however, feel that it is necessary in this particular case to identify these perpetrators quite quickly for a number of reasons. The first is they are a particularly aggressive gang, and um, this is not normally um, the case in terms of gang rapes. We don't normally see cases like this. And if this is their modus operandi, then there's no question that they need to be apprehended quickly because they will no doubt attack again. And I have no doubt that this is not their first offence. And and maybe through the DNA database, we'll link them to other offences too. They also in many ways um, represent a, a, a line in the sand that, that that is good every now and again for us to stand up and go, no, which is what people are doing. And sadly, you know, some cases, whether it's a good or a bad thing, are representative of that point where we say no, um, and this is one of those cases, which is why it, it is, is also being prioritised. Um, the other aspect is that it also hopefully will show how valuable DNA evidence is, and it continues to put pressure on the government to ensure that that backlog is reduced, because we've spoken about this before. The early identification of perpetrators prevents tomorrow's victims. In many ways, if these perpetrators had been identified earlier for other crimes they would have committed. And again, I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure this is not, you, you don't just go into a crime of this nature for the first time. Then we could possibly have identified them earlier. And, and this is how a DNA database is so powerful, is that you can identify serial offenders and identify offenders and you can have valuable evidence to take them off the streets so that they don't do this again. Further, it also shows the value of DNA in respect of sexual offences because it is one of the most valuable forms of evidence in sexual offences. It's not the only form of evidence, and we must remember that. Um, it's not the Holy Grail, but it is very valuable. So maybe through this process, those things will be achieved um, and we, we, only time will tell as to, as, as to whether that pressure will help with the DNA backlog that these perpetrators will be identified and that the government will never allow themselves to get into a situation where the backlog has compromised so many other victims who haven't had the opportunity of being prioritised. What, what about the new DNA laws in South Africa? How will they help in, in a case like this? Well, the laws are not that new. Remember, in 2015, we had the DNA laws passed. And initially, when the government um, was given funding and we had great administration in the laboratories that um, ensured that the 
the prescribed periods within which to analyse DNA and to get the DNA to the laboratories were actually complied with. That's 30 days. Um, then we were on top of it. We had over a million profiles on our database. The the new laws, as you say, are, are really that all arrestees must have their off-schedule-eight offences, must mandatory have their DNA sample taken. So that is new, whereas before it was discretionary. And we're waiting for the Convicted Offender Amendment Bill to be passed. And that, that's also very important because um, a number of convicted offenders who are released actually go back to crime or they could have been identified to other other crimes, and then therefore they won't be released because they can then be tried for those particular crimes. So how it would help in this particular instance, as I've spoken about before, is the arrestees will have their sample taken. That's mandatory. So now it's a, it's a, it's, they have no choice. Convicted offenders hopefully soon will have no choice, and there's even a, 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 a part that says that if they refuse that they can use minimal force to ensure that the samples are taken from convicted offenders. The database allows us the, um, to have a database in South Africa where we can do comparative searching. And it also means that the government, because we have a DNA law that mandates that all of these processes take place, they actually have an obligation to ensure that, these, that the forensic science laboratories are funded. And unfortunately, as we know, this backlog has come about because the, there was withdrawal of funding, and that must never happen again. How many samples are in this backlog? Do you have those figures? Well, there, the, the transparency with the, the government's transparency with regards to the numbers um, is actually quite poor. So we have to read between the lines. And sadly, the DNA board, which I used to be part of, um, and the new DNA board are, are really lacking in reporting to the public. Um, in fact, I don't even know what their purpose is, to be perfectly frank, um, if they don't come to Parliament and report on these issues. Their, their duty is to actually access these stats, find out what the numbers are, and report back to the public. So if, you, if any of the DNA board are listening out there, do your job, please. Honestly, I mean, it's, it's, it's appalling, um, and, and I think they need to be shown up for this. The, the last number we got of the backlog was around 236,000 cases. Now, there are a number of samples per case, so we're talking about over over a million samples. The latest figures, I think, are around 150,000 cases, but they ring-fenced the backlog, which means that they're not adding the cases that are being received every month since they ring-fenced the backlog last year in November. So we've got this weird situation where they are going, working towards a zero backlog date on the 1st of November, which I don't know if they're going to achieve, and they're not telling us what the current cases are coming in every month. I would imagine, if we just do a, a bit of a thumb suck, that we're still over 300,000 cases in backlog, for sure, because there's... The, the crime stats indicate that crime has gone through the roof, which means that samples are being received um, in in great numbers at the laboratory. So I think there should be a call for the DNA board to provide accurate stats in respect of what the current situation is, whatever that may be. Let's just have some transparency from government. And in terms of the database, I mean, the database is growing all the time as these, you know, as accused people in Schedule 8 offences have to be um, sampled. But could it could it become a really big weapon in the fight against gender-based violence? I mean, do you think it's really going to make a massive difference? 
Absolutely. I mean, it's there are there are so many studies um, around the world where uh, the larger your DNA database, the greater potential it has to identify offenders. And remember, we have serial offenders in South Africa. It's not one person per crime. These perpetrators are committing several crimes, specifically in sexual violence. We, they, they are known to be serial offenders. So the more crime scene evidence we can analyze and the more people we can add on to the reference or known indices in our, in our DNA database, the more we can link these people to their crimes and prevent them from continuing their rampage and being let free in society. So there is a, there's a point at which your criminal population is represented on your DNA database, um, and then you will really start seeing results in terms of deterrence um, as well as prevention. We're nowhere near that point, but we can get there. And when the Forensic Science Laboratory was operating efficiently, it had good administration, good leaders, when there was a lot of um, funding being given to the laboratories, the, the DNA database was getting over one hit per hour. That is one person was being linked to one or several crimes every hour. You read about DNA hits and perpetrators being convicted in the news frequently in those days. Nowadays, if they get one hit per, uh, per, per month, that's probably a lot because they stopped adding DNA profiles to the database when they had that serious backlog. They just stopped operating for a period of almost 18 months. So we need to get back to that point. And I do think the government are committed to that. They are now building a new, really big um, laboratory in the Eastern Cape. They are looking at private-public partnerships, although I don't know what the, the current status is. And they are giving funding to these laboratories. But we need to work faster. They need to have 24-hour shifts. We just can't, we just can't even afford a moment um, uh, where they're not analyzing and putting profiles on the database, in my opinion. Well, certainly a case like this really brings it into the spotlight, brings that need and that necessity for DNA to be used in these criminal trials. And um, hopefully in this case, there will be justice for those women. That was Director of DNA for Africa, Vanessa Lynch. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for the story.